Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before you this another Lord's Day, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather as believers in your house to worship you. And Father, I just pray that you would give us the wisdom and your spirit to live out what we just sang. Father, there's so many times that we can be in situations where we can cause strife. So Father, I just pray this morning that you would continue to sanctify us, that we might be instruments of peace this morning. I also pray, Father, that you would be with Brother Lester as he preaches your word. Father, may you give him clarity of thought as he presents what you have laid upon his heart. And just pray that we would also have hearts that would be open to receive the challenge you have for us this morning. And I just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning and welcome to each of you. Thankful for the visitors that are present with us today and welcome you to fellowship with us and trust that you have come to hear God's word as well. My sermon this morning is entitled The Pure Gospel. I'm beginning a book study in the book of Galatians. My hope and plan is that I will be taking several sermons out of this book. Not sure yet exactly how many or what that's all going to include. I'd like for us to take a, a good look at what the book of the messages of the book of Galatians. And as I have read this book, um, I see a message here of Paul bringing or Paul bringing this concern he has that the gospel would somehow be changed, be diluted, be become um, misleading, that its message would no longer be pure, the message of the gospel. He's addressing a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And there's a lot here that is needful and practical for churches today as well. I think I'm just going to begin here by reading the first 11 verses of chapter 1. Uh, later on, I'll be reading some more of chapter 2. In, in doing a book study like this, I try to find a, a balance between trying to cover every subject and every word and every verse that is really an, an endless study. And, and somehow to bring what it's saying into, into something that can be... Um, easy for you to hear, if you will, or easy to understand, not intending to cover everything in this book, but to, to see what the message is that, that God has for us. So I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the entire passage, um, just right now, verses 1 through 11 of, of Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so I now say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we what you have received, let him be accursed. For I do now for for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I'll stop reading there, but just want you to know that he goes on then the rest of this chapter and into chapter two to defend um, himself in a way, defend the gospel that he was preaching, really, to explain to them some of the process that he went to through um, to receive the gospel that he was preaching through them. And he makes clear to them that it was revealed to him by God. It was not, did not come from man. So there's sometimes some debate about the New Testament books and their writers and who's an apostle and who's qualified to write and who wasn't. And Paul, as we know, was not an eyewitness of, as far as we know, was not an eyewitness of the crucifixion of Christ like the disciples were, but was considered an apostle because of the revelation that he had received from God in a special way. The question I, I want to focus on as we go through this book is, what is the pure gospel? He talks about another gospel. And if we are going to, we must know how to identify the pure gospel if we're going to know what the other gospel looks like. If we don't want to be misled, we have to know what the truth is, what the pure gospel is. Now, I think there's primarily two ways that I see that the gospel becomes uh, perverted is the word he uses here in verse 7, to pervert the gospel of Christ. And I see both of, of these uh, being an issue here with the churches in Galatia. The one is that we have new ideas coming in from false teachers. These teachers are either deceived, um, sometimes they're just plain ignorant, and sometimes they have other motives, like they want to... Um, they want to have a following. They want the, the money, the power, the fame that might come with, with a following. This was a problem at this time, and it certainly is just as much, if not more, a problem for us today. So if you think about the setting that they were in, there was these churches, newly established churches in the region of Galatia, and, and Paul says that he's, he's shocked at how quickly they're, they're turning away from what he preached to them. To, to other men coming in with a, a slightly different message. Um, so in order for that to happen, somebody probably traveled, um, even if they were only coming from Jerusalem. I'm not sure the distance there, but it's not all that far. It still took them maybe several days to travel to the region of Galatia at the most. Um, so it took time for the word to spread compared to, to what it does today. But they had people coming into them or maybe sending letters, but more likely traveling to come into their area and preach this other gospel. Today, we, we can they travel so much faster. We have so much more um, access to the ideas and 
the, the false teaching and whatever it may be that is out there. It can travel from the other side of the world in literally seconds. And we have it in our homes. We have easy access to it. So this, this problem of the gospel being perverted by new ideas coming in certainly is something that we need to deal with today. The, the other way that the gospel is perverted is by old customs and traditions that had a place, that had a reason, um, that, that were practices, even in some situations, that, that God had taught to them. But they become, they lose their meaning, they become distorted, um, and, and they change the message of the gospel. An example of this is found in Isaiah 58. You don't have to turn there, but, but Isaiah talks to the people about fasting and how that their fasting, um, they were no longer doing it with the right motives for the right reason. And God tells them, you know, I don't want that fasting. I know that's a discipline that, that you have been taught, but I don't want that. So there was, in a sense, we could say they were living out the gospel. They were living out what they were taught to do to fast, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. And this can, can come to us in, in many different ways. There's, there's teachings in the Bible that we do good to obey and to follow, but if we're doing it for the wrong reason, it can change that gospel message and hinder it. The, the way that they were dealing with it here is, is they had this issue of circumcision and, and the Jewish law and, and whether or not you know, they should eat with the Gentiles, or whether they should eat uh, meat that was um, considered unclean in the Jewish law, and all these things. They had their time and their place. Yes, it was what the old law taught, but now there was something new here, and they were trying to hang on to these old customs and traditions, um, and seemingly practicing them with the idea that, that this is what they had to do to be righteous. And anybody that didn't do this just couldn't quite attain to salvation. So both new ideas and old traditions can lead us away from the pure gospel. How do we know what the pure gospel is? What does it look like in our daily lives? Who brings it to us? What is its message? What does it give to us? These are all questions that come to me as, as I consider what Galatians says here. Uh, I'd like to, well, let me, let me first cover this part, and then I have um, a homework assignment for you. Uh, what is the gospel? Simply, the word gospel means a, 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 message, a, a message of good news. It simply means good news or good tidings. Sometimes is another word the scripture uses. There's two passages, two verses that I'd, I'd like to bring to your attention um, that talk about other verses in scripture that talk about the gospel. Uh, one is in Luke chapter 2 where the angel came announcing the birth of Christ. The angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was good news. That was the gospel in a nutshell. That there was born that day was the arrival of Jesus Christ. He came for the purpose of saving us from our sins. Another one in the Old Testament is Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You may recognize that this was the verse that Jesus quoted in, um, I think it may be in Luke. I don't have the passage written down here. But we're, Luke 4? Okay, thank you. In Luke 4, Jesus went into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and they gave him the scroll of the book of Isaiah. He opened it and read this verse to them. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Both of those verses give us the, the, the gospel in a nutshell. <clears throat> and this gospel message is also for us Gentiles, for all people. In both of those verses, it was a message to the Jewish people. But if you look in Galatians chapter 3 here, verse 14, that's just one verse of many in the scripture where it makes it clear that this gospel message was for the Gentiles as well. Verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, my homework assignment for you, and I'm not going to grade you on this or even uh, really check back with you on this, but I, I want to do this to, to help you um, remember what is preached. I know sometimes it is difficult. You sit here and you listen to a sermon for half an hour, 45 minutes, the next day, you're like, see, what, what was taught? That's at least how I, well, I deal with sometimes. What was said, and you kind of forget. So I'm giving you some, some aids to help you remember if you want to. Um, my homework assignment for you is to read Isaiah chapter 59 through 62. You might sometimes in your personal devotional time, your personal Bible reading, you might struggle with, well, what should I read? And, and pick up a devotional book. And, and that's good. That's great. But I think we need to develop the, the skill of just reading God's word as well. I use devotional books. I'm not, I'm not judging you if you do that. They're very helpful. But we also need to have the ability to, to just read God's word and, and let it speak to us. So maybe you can take this passage and, and do that this week. Just, just read over it. Um, listen to it if you have the ability to do that. Sometimes that's easier while you're driving or doing your work. Isaiah 59 through 62. And, and if you want to go beyond that, you certainly may. But I find it in those four chapters, it gives the Old Testament gives us a picture of, of what the gospel is. We think of the Old Testament so often as history, law, the, the prophets. Sometimes it can be boring. Um, it can seem boring. But read this passage and ask yourself the question, what is the gospel? What is the pure gospel? Um, I may ask you, my next sermon in this series, I may ask for your comments on that and what you found there. So if you care to do that this week or in the coming weeks. I'll just give you a few of the things that I see that are mentioned in that passage to give you maybe to whet your appetite for it. Chapter 59 begins with this phrase, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And then it says, the Lord saw that there was no man, that there was no intercessor. 
Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. Later on, he says, the Redeemer will come to Zion. The Lord will arise over you. And his, over you, and he's saying, Zion. The Lord will arise over Zion. His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light. As the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. Another verse says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. And I find that verse especially interesting in the current events if you follow what is happening in Israel today. What does this gospel message have for them? Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. This is good news for them. This is good news for us. <clears throat> And as you look at the gospel message from Isaiah, the question that comes to my mind is, what it, or how can this get any better? How can the gospel message be any better than what is explained in that passage? How can we improve this? Why would we want to change or pervert the gospel message? <clears throat> So I'm going to look, first of all, at, at two things I see in Galatians here that are our responsibility uh, with the gospel. And then I have a number of points, and I'm not going to cover them all today, but um, just looking at the gospel is. And then I will continue to describe what, what Galatians says. Galatians tells us what the pure gospel is. Uh, let's look, first of all, from the passage we've read already here in chapter 1. We can see that our responsibility with the gospel is to preach it. Now, he doesn't, Paul doesn't spend a lot of time on that, but we do see that he came and preached the gospel to them. Um, others felt compelled to do that as well. And we know that the gospel message is for us to preach, to proclaim, to teach to the world. And that was the commission that Jesus gave his followers just before he left this earth, that they go out and preach the gospel. Romans chapter 10 says, How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? We are compelled to preach the gospel. It is our responsibility to preach it. But then also, it is our responsibility to make sure that the gospel we are preaching is pure. He tells us here that if it is not pure, it is not good news. Uh, in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. It's no longer good news if it is changed. We see the urgency with which Paul confronts them on this matter, where he sees the gospel message being changed, being perverted. One of the interesting things about the book of Galatians is 
that I don't think he gives them any um, positive, he doesn't commend them in any way as he writes this letter to these churches. And from what other writers have said, all his other letters to the churches contain, um, what's the right word, commendation. He commends them for, for strengths he sees in them, but not here in Galatians. He has a brief opening beginning here in writing to them, and he dives right into this problem that he sees. He is astonished at how quickly they have been led astray. He uses strong language, and he, as we can see later on in, in chapter 1, he has a rather lengthy defense of his gospel. He goes into detail, uh, making sure they understand that his gospel that he preached to them came from God. He tells us here that if we preach any other gospel, we are to be accursed. And that word means to put aside, to put out, or to set aside for destruction. A lot of the same idea as to excommunicate. He uses very strong language and he repeats it here. If we or even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. Paul's passion is that the gospel would be kept pure, and that is our responsibility as well, the purity of the gospel. I'd like to now read chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. We're going to see a little bit of Paul's defense here, and then he, um, yeah, he talks about what the gospel is. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man, for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, and we should, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, 
If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. I'm going to stop there. I know it's kind of right in the middle of of what Paul is recording that he said to Peter. But that's as far as we're going to get today. What does the gospel do for us? And what is the gospel? Number one, the gospel is about pleasing God. We see this in chapter one. For, I do, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still Please, men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. The gospel is about pleasing God. Now, to properly understand this verse 10 here, uh, I was a little confused when I first read it, but um, I think got some clarity as I looked at some different translations and, and some different writers and their comments on it. Do I now persuade men or God? Now, the way I think of the word persuade I should be trying to persuade men of the gospel, right? Not God. God gave the gospel to us. But that's not quite what this word means here. Um, if you look in the ASV, it uses the word favor. Do I now seek the favor of man? Or the New Living uses the word approval. Do I now, am I looking for the approval of man or of God? And I think that's, from what I understand, that's a better interpretation of, of what he's trying to say. He's asking a rhetorical question. Am I looking for God's approval or man's? God's, of course. Do I seek to please men? If I am still looking for man's approval, then I am not the servant of Christ. I found it interesting uh, back in Isaiah as I was reading that passage there. I'll, I'll just refer to one verse there in chapter 59 because it ties in here with with seeking or with doing what pleases God um, in in 59 verse 15 well it's, it's talking here about uh, I may need to cover more than just verse 15. I'll start in 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter for truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And looking at the whole context here, we see there's something that's displeasing to God. It's the fact that there was no, no redeemer, no justice, um, no righteousness. So it displeased God, that there was no justice. And it says that even those who kept the law were prey. We see that even those people who were obedient to the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, the law that God had given them, even they fell prey. And if I understand it right, it, it's simply saying that they, they had no redeemer. They, they could do all the law, but they still were despised. Um, an example is, is Noah. It tells us that he was a righteous man. He was the only 
righteous man that God found on the earth at that time. He was not well liked for that. They scoffed at him. But God came and saved him from that wickedness. The, the flood came and he was rescued in, in a similar way to what Christ does today for us when he brings us salvation. He brought salvation to Noah in a sense. Noah did what was right, but he needed a savior. The good news for Noah was that he had the ark. He was rescued when the whole world was destroyed. <clears throat> so it displeased God that there was no redeemer. We are not to seek to please man, but to please God, to accept the salvation that he has offered to us. That is what is pleasing to God. He offers us salvation, and we are to accept that from him. What happens if we try to please man instead of God? Does we become the servant of those who we aim to please? He addresses Peter in chapter 2, and he says Peter played the hypocrite, and others were also led astray when he tried to please man instead of God. What he was doing there was he understood that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well, and he fellowshiped with them and accepted them, but yet in certain circumstances, when certain people were around, he stayed away from them to, in an effort to please those people. Not only was he being a hypocrite, he was leading others astray as well. Paul says that in verse 14 of Galatians chapter 2, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, he then confronted Peter. We need to be straightforward. Sometimes being straightforward may mean that we lose our reputation, but we stand for the purity of the gospel. The second thing I'd like to notice yet here is that the gospel is for those who are slaves to Christ. If I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This, this idea of being a bondservant or a slave to Christ is, to me, very interesting and very meaningful. And he doesn't expound on it a lot here, but I'd like to draw your attention to the, the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to take the time to go there and read that because I think probably most of you are familiar with that account. This, this parable of the prodigal son is an example of how the gospel is for slaves. The gospel is, the good news is for those who come to Christ in the same position as that prodigal son came back to his father. As you recall, he, he wasted his inheritance. He went out and, and just lifted up. And after a while, uh, ran out of money, uh, became uh, quite desperate. In fact, I, I think eventually you know, he was going to die of hunger. He decided, I'm going to go back to my father and be one of his servants. He went back. He was not expecting to be called or treated as a son. He was not asking for an inheritance. He was not asking for a special place. He came as a slave, willing to be his father's slave for the rest of his life. 
And I think that's a good picture of how we must come to Christ, how we must come if we want to receive the gospel. The elder son in that account is in some ways similar to the false teachers here in Galatians. He was upset because his father was rejoicing over his brother's salvation. He said, look, I did everything that was right. I, I was a good person. He was upset that his father was rejoicing over the sinner who was saved. That's similar to the false teachers with their wrong motives. Contrast the gospel that makes me a slave and the gospel that is for a slave. The false gospel, the perverted gospel, makes me a slave. You have to do this, you have to do that. You're guilty if you don't. The gospel that is for slaves is a message of good news that comes to those who want to serve Christ. And then the beautiful thing about this is in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, um, Paul talks about a time where he talks about Christ no longer calling us a slave but a son. I'll just read those four verses. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's what that father did in the account of the prodigal son. You're no longer a slave. You're a, you are my son again. That's what God does for us when we come to him as a slave. That is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is for slaves. I'm going to need to quit with that. I have a lot of other points here that I hope to continue in, in the future. The gospel is about exalting the grace of God. The gospel is by the hearing of faith. The gospel is a new creation. The gospel is for our justification. It is for our liberation. The gospel is love for one another. It is walking in the spirit. It is carrying the cross of Christ. That's some of the things I want to look at in the future. And remember your homework. Read Isaiah 59 through 62. Spend some time studying that, meditating on it, and ask yourself the question, what is the gospel? Let's bow our heads for prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word, how it has been revealed to us. We have the ability to read it, to understand it, and by your spirit, you continue to, to lead us, to help us to understand it, and to sanctify and cleanse us. Thank you for the message of the gospel, the good news that you have brought for us. Maybe we be willing to accept it, to receive it, to preach it, proclaim it, be passionate about the purity of the gospel. Guide us as we go from here that we may live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ken, do you have a closing song?